This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So tomorrow is a spring statement and in the last 24 hours it looks like there might be more movement on the national insurance policy that Rishi Sunak had introduced late last year. Katie, tell us what we're hearing. So, I mean, I think there's, there's the same complaints that we've had for months and then there's movement. I'm not sure if that much has actually moved. Okay. Anyway, what we're, what we're seeing is an effort ahead of the chance of the spring statement tomorrow by, you know, we're hearing of cabinet ministers who would like to see Rishi Sunak ditch it, this idea Five, that, apparently. Yeah, so I would also say at the time of the national insurance rise, there are probably at least five cabinet ministers <laughs> reported to be against it. So so while, the, you know, you have the numbers, I think the strange thing about, in a way, these stories is that because there's been such discontent over the national insurance hike, the fact there are five cabinet ministers, like only five? Rishi Sunak initially didn't want to even do the social care plan, as, as right. we understand it, when they were first discussing it. When the prime minister was set on it, because he wanted to uh, clear the NHS backlog and also solve social care, seeing it, I think, partly as um, a legacy issue for him, something he could say he'd done with his premiership that previous predecessors have failed. The Chancellor made pretty clear, as we understand it, that you could not do that through borrowing. The public finances were not in a state to do that. That's how there came to be a national insurance hike. And effectively, you have a situation where everyone is a little bit unhappy with what has been proposed. Is the national insurance hike in place because Rishi Sunak loves it? No. I think the reason that we've seen Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak stick with it, and I think probably the point where it was probably most likely to go, if there was any point, was during Partygate, when you had the shadow whipping operation, you had Tory MPs saying need to go for them to keep supporting the Prime Minister, and Boris Johnson looked particularly vulnerable. But even then, you had a Sunday Times op-ed come out with you know the byline photos of both the Prime Minister and Rishi Sunak on, saying it's going ahead. So... While there is pressure, I think it's the same people who don't like it. And I think that when the government have pushed to keep it in place, they've done so knowing fully well that it's not popular. Ultimately, I think Rishi Sunak's argument is that it is better to see this through because you can't have a situation of unfunded spending pledges that is worse for the Tory brand than having this tax rise. I think that if we're, and obviously you don't get too close to an event before making bold predictions, but clearly I think national insurance thresholds, something we mm-hmm. talked about yesterday, so moving the thresholds by which you pay it, I think is something that could be done to soften it. And then also I think the Chancellor will try and find other ways to show that he is a tax-cutting Chancellor. So you can look in other areas. And and we know the Chancellor is keen to cut income tax ahead of the next election. Mm -hmm. And James, I mean, that's something that Keir Starmer picked up on today in a BBC interview where this is what he had to say. If ever there was a time not to introduce a new tax, it's now when the squeeze is absolutely on, whether that's fuel bills going up, whether that's food bills going up, inflation going up energy bills going up, wages not going up, Let and the government says this is the time to impose a new tax. And I'm afraid that is that is cynical from the Prime Minister, from the Chancellor and right. cynical from the Prime Minister because what the Chancellor 
I think he's doing here is introducing a tax that doesn't need to be introduced, which is going to really hurt people. And he's not doing that for economic, good economic reasons. He's doing that, he hopes, so that just before the election, he can uh, try to cut taxes and claim to be a tax-cutting government. That is cynical. Okay. That is not the right economic I want answer. To, there's an, there's it's a, cynicism. Do you think it's fair that Keir Starmer's point that British Sunak's doing this for cynical reasons, just to be able to cut taxes before the next election? So, look, I, I think one of the reasons why the national insurance rise is coming in this April is because they think they need money to try and address the NHS waiting list issue straight away, as well as a long-term funding stream for social care. Now, obviously, the cost of living pressures have grown since this national insurance increase was announced. So I think the big thing to look for tomorrow is, you know, what... Other things does the Chancellor try and do, whether it's about thresholds or whether it's about fuel duty, which I think he dropped a hint about mm. on Sunday when he talked about how, you know, representing a, a rural seat, he knows how important, you know, people's cars are to them, that people in rural areas don't have the public transport alternatives or cycling alternatives that are available in big cities. You know, so what else does he do to try and ease the cost of living crisis? I also think that, you know, it is worth remembering that, the government have already committed £9 billion to helping people with people's energy bills. I think the government has a particular challenge on energy, which is it's very hard to know where the energy price gap is going to be in October. And I think for that reason, the government will duck trying to work out what it's going to do to help until then. I think whatever is in the statement tomorrow... I think if the energy price cap is going to go up to anything like £3,000, the government is going to be forced to do something because if the energy price cap goes to £3,000, the hit that that creates to household spending, I don't see how that doesn't create a recession. Uh, and so I think that, you know, I think whatever is said tomorrow, I think it is likely that if you really were getting a massive increase in the energy price cap in October, which which does look like the most likely outcome at the moment, although you know the energy markets are sufficiently volatile at the moment, you wouldn't want to. It's very hard to to put a specific number on it, but you know I think the government will be forced to do something else by the political realities of the situation. Mm-hmm. And Katie, the British Iranian mother who has been recently been returned to the UK, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, last night gave a press conference in which she laid into the government a little bit. Here's what she had to say. I have seen five foreign secretaries changed over the course of six years. That is unprecedented given the politics of the UK. I love you, Richard. Respect whatever you believe. But I was told many, many times that, oh, we're going to get you home. That never happened. So there was a time that I felt like, do you know what? I'm like, no, I'm not even going to trust you because I've been told many, many times that I'm going to be taken home. But that never happened. I mean, how many foreign secretaries does it take for someone to come out? Five. It should have been one of them eventually. Those comments, Katie, have caused a bit of a furore, I think it's fair to say, with people saying that maybe she should be a little bit more grateful and less critical. But of course, Downing Street today actually has come out and said she can say whatever she wants because she's in a free country now. What did you make of the whole political row surrounding the situation? Yeah, I think the definite line in government, you've heard it from Tory MPs actually, as well as ministers, is effectively, well, the great thing about being in a country like the UK is you're allowed to disagree with the government and you're allowed to criticise the government. Um, so go for it I think clearly after you've been in you know jail isolation all these horrible things that probably happened during that time and for such a long period you're going to come back and I've no doubt you would feel very aggrieved about your situation I think in terms of 
the politics of it, there's lots of questions as to, you know, why did it take so long? You're hearing some Tory MPs asking that. Um, ultimately, I mean, uh, uh, the biggest thing that changed when it came to releasing Nazine Sky Ratcliffe was the fact that the UK paid what they described near the time to her release as a legitimate debt, so the 400 million, and that did not happen under the Theresa May government. So when Nazanin Sagari Ratcliffe was talking about, you know, how many foreign secretaries does it take? And clearly, I think having lots of people change brief isn't helpful to some things like this. But at the same time, I think Boris Johnson, his foreign secretary, um, it was reported at the time, did want to pay that debt. It didn't happen mm-hmm. um, when he became prime minister. And I think lots of this work began on Dominic Raab. That started to happen. The American government had its views on it. That also slowed things down. So it's very complicated. And I think while you can say, oh, it's just paying the debt, there's so many things that you have to move around in that situation. I think it's probably a bit easier if you are an opposition MP saying what's happened why hasn't this happened already then you're having to deal with not just the debt but also all the diplomacy around mm-hmm. it and yes I, I think that probably you know those saying well it's unfair that innocent mother um was held over because of geopolitical reasons because things like the iran nuclear deal i think probably did have an effect on mm-hmm. the fact that the way the talks are going how did the release but the biggest issue here is clearly the iranian government and the fact that they do adopt these tactics yeah, absolutely. And we're still waiting for one more British national to be released. And James, as far as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought it was that the American government did not want the British government to pay the debt in order to essentially recognise the current government of Iran, which and the debt was incurred before the overthrow of the Shah in the 70s. So the Americans, have they softened their position on that? Is that why the debt has now been paid? And in that sense, why are people not talking about that facet of things? So Alistair Burt, the former Middle East minister at the Foreign Office, has called for a kind of parliamentary inquiry into, into who was blocking it, because there seemed to be this odd situation where a succession of foreign secretaries wanted to pay the money, the money never got paid. The reason the money never got paid is it was very hard to pay the money in compliance with the sanctions that were in existence on Iran. Right. The UK government says that this, this money that they're paying is ring-fenced for humanitarian purposes. It can't be spent on anything else. The Iranian government say, no, no, that's not true. They can spend it on what they choose to spend it on. I think that the reason the UK government has been prepared to pay this debt now is a sense that, and indeed I think if it wasn't for Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, there would have been a deal in Vienna in the Iran nuclear talks, and therefore the, the US is less sensitive to the question of sanctions. And also, you know, I, I think the US and the UK are working together so closely on Ukraine. And the UK has a kind of uh, licensed position, I think, a little bit out in front of the Americans and mm-hmm. some stuff mm-hmm. o- on the Ukraine front. But, you know, the, but I think the Americans are not going to block this. Because also remember that, you know, in this changed energy geopolitics created by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, I think there are quite a lot of people in, in Washington, some uh, adjacent to the administration, who, who would quite like to get Iran's oil unsanctioned get that onto the global market and see that reduce, A, the price ahead of the midterm elections in the US uh, in November, and also Vladimir Putin's leverage. So I think there is a kind of complicated mix of things going on here. I think Katie is completely right to say that the kind of, that, you know, you can criticise the British government for being ineffective, Boris Johnson for his sloppy language when he was foreign secretary, but, you know, the moral culpability rest with the Iranians who choose to lift this woman and and use her as a pawn in international negotiations. And I also think the second point is paying this money to Iran, it's not uncomplicated given what the Iranian state spends its money on. Right, okay. 
And Katie, speaking of the close relationship uh, between the UK and Ukraine and the US during this time, uh, Boris Johnson has expressed a desire to go see Volodymyr Zelensky in Kiev like Eastern European presidents have. Do you think that's going to go ahead? Well, the official number 10 spokesman today has played it down despite hearing that Boris Johnson is actually desperate to go. From Oliver Dowden. Yeah, the party chairman, Oliver Dowden, um, and other such hints. And we've been getting lots of briefings to publications about Boris Johnson's close relationship with Zelensky. They speak at least once a day, we hear. So despite that, uh, a number 10 spokesman suggested that there are no immediate plans. Now, I would caveat that in the sense that I suppose on security grounds, you wouldn't really want to tell people who are about to go on this trip. But then also, I think probably on security grounds, there'd be quite a lot of scepticism um, that sending the UK Prime Minister to Kiev was the best plan. But I guess we can only watch the space. What do you think, James? Well, we're sitting here looking at one of the rooftops from which Winston Churchill used to like to climb on uh, during World War II and watch the bombs fall, um, something that caused an understandable amount of alarm among some of his staff at the time. And I think Boris Johnson's desire to be in Kiev is, is similar to Winston Churchill's desire to. to, to I'm not. I'm not saying that Boris and Churchill are, 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 are uh, Boris Johnson and Winston Churchill are equivalent leaders, but the same desire to see the action. I think is informing both of their uh, both the Churchill's desire to down the roof as the bombs fell, Boris Johnson's desire to to go to Kiev. I think you can argue that this is obviously going to give. Uh, any kind of security who went with him, absolute kitchen to prospect him going. I, I, I personally suspect, and this is obviously would be a, a, a very um, high-risk gamble, I suspect that if it became known that Boris Johnson was in Kiev, that would be one day when the Russians went slightly easier on shelling the city on the basis that, you know, they probably have no desire to kill the leader of a nuclear-armed power in this conflict you know i think you know i think that there are limits to how far they are prepared to escalate i still would be surprised if this were to happen given all the risks involved i think if you think back to some of those trips i remember when i was working as a journalist in washington dc george w bush and condoleezza rice went to visit iraq they, they wished for a sufficient desire for no one to know uh, that they they drove in a in a normal car to the airfield from which they left with no you know none of the usual U.S. presidential motorcade you know this is in in America itself so that you know people didn't think oh where's the president off to you know I think if you were attempting to do this you would have to do this in such a level of secrecy that you know that that this is not the kind of thing that gets written about in the newspaper before it happens if it is going to happen. So I suspect if Boris Johnson does want to go, maybe advice has to go out to cabinet ministers to stop saying on the radio how excited he is to go. James and Katie, thanks very much. And if you want to hear more from James and Katie on the spring statement, as well as Kate Andrews and Fraser Nelson, you've got the last chance to get tickets to tomorrow's event at the Emmanuel Centre in Westminster, where all four of them will be giving you their reaction to the Chancellor's spring statement. To get tickets to that, you can go to spectator.co.uk forward slash spring. Thanks for listening and join us again then. <laughs> <laughs>